0: Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Sermons Podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.crossroadstw.org. Well, good morning, Crossroads. How about they doing this morning? That was not very good on this Fourth of July weekend. How is everybody doing this morning? Man, I don't know about you, but, but I, I just could have let Rock and the worship team just just sing and sing and sing, because I couldn't stop but thinking about Psalms 29 that says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory, do his name, and it says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. I mean, that, that's, that's why we're here this morning. To to worship one name and one name only, Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the raised Savior who always was and is and is to be. And on a day today where we get to celebrate freedom in this nation, what Jesus offers us is freedom for a lifetime, soul depth freedom from the power and bondage of sin. He rescued, redeemed, and restored mankind so we can be made new and right in him. And so we just get, what a a joy it is to worship together, one family service to all the kids. Let's give our kids that are in the house, let's give our kids a big round of applause, the kids in the house. Children, if you haven't picked up one of these, it's a, a little kind of workbook we put together for you, so parents, if you need to slip out and grab one, they're on the tables there, something to help get them engaged, and kids, we're gonna have you take notes. Are you ready? All right, so kids, y'all gonna take notes with your parents, so make sure you're ready for that. Those of you online, again, we're glad that you're tuning in to worship with us. I need everybody to think back to a moment, think back to a childhood moment that you went on what you would call the trip of a lifetime the trip of a lifetime. That one that of all the family trips you've been on, of all the ones that you were anxiously waiting for, this was the one that just surpasses all of them. So for me, I was a, I was a five-year-old kid and I was, I was an avid lover of Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett. All right, we're going old school here, right? And uh, in, in Kentucky, Uh, There was Fort Daniel Boone, his Brunsboro Fort in Kentucky. And so we went there as I was a a five-year-old kid. And I was was like that kid um, in a candy shop, right? It was on Christmas Eve with Santa's elves in his workshop. I mean, it was, I could not wait to get to this fort. I had my coonskin cap. I had my my fake musket, I had the, the powdered horn, and I was ready to engage in the war against the Redcoats because I wanted to help lead us to victory, all right? And so of course we get in the car and I'm like, hey dad, like how much further? He's like, five minutes. Right? I mean, every single time I ask, how much further we got? Well, five more minutes, right? I mean, that's just the typical pat answer. But we got close, because I could tell we were close, and so we pulled in the parking lot. I mean, I had my seatbelt off so fast. I was loading my muzzle already. I was like jumping out the door. My parents were like, just wait, just wait. Man, the car stopped, right? And I, I bolt into the fort. Now, as a five-year-old kid, what I didn't know is you actually had to pay to get into the place. All right, so like, excuse me, sir, you can't go in. I'm like, I've gotten my rifle. I'm here to fight. And they're like... Need to pay, I'm like, come on, mom and dad, let, let's pay. My older sister, younger brother, they were not as excited as I was. But I remember I got in there and, and I'm looking around and now I'm trying to find the spot. And, and I notice over here on this side, it's, it's the fort. And to me, the fort symbolized that's where the battle was gonna happen, right? So I make a beeline to the fort, up the stairs. Now Now, as a five-year-old kid, this is what I'm expecting. I'm expecting cannon blasts going off left and right. Walls shattering, people screaming, right? The smell of sweat and musket fire, right? There's gonna be redcoats over there and I'm gonna get a chance to, to, to help us lead the victory, right? And there's just gonna be the women, they're gonna be loading muskets, they're gonna be handing me muskets and I mean, it's gonna be an intense battle. I mean, I'm ready for it. And I get up there and I see none of it. So I had this like mixed emotion of like confusion and like rage that like came together all in one. And uh, imagine, okay? So imagine kids. Like imagine that you your spot is Disney World. How many of y'all like Disney World? How many of y'all like Disney? Right? Your spot's Disney, but you get to Disney and like Mickey and Minnie, they're not even there. They're just statues. There's no princesses. They're just cardboard cutouts, right? Maybe your family trip was to go to, to Six Flags or some theme park, right? And you get there and all the rides are shut down for the day. Right? I mean you travel all the way to to Aspen to go skiing and there's no snow to go skiing on. You go to you go to Alaska to do some some fishing and you get there and all the the fish are gone. They're they're dead. I mean it's just like imagine like the scene of like so as a five-year-old kid, I'm not really understanding, and so Children, this is not what you should do, um, but I threw what was called the temper tantrum of a lifetime, right? I mean, I threw my musket on the ground, I took my hat off, and I just, my parents have just made it in the park as I'm racing out of the park. I mean, I am madder than a hornet. I'm like, this is ridiculous. My mom's like, Josh, like, what's, what's the problem? Like, Mom, I don't understand. Like, everything in here is dead. Nothing is alive, and she's like, son, like that's, that's not what it was supposed to be. See, but when I think about that, when I think about the text of what we're gonna open up here this morning, we're in a series called Seven Letters. Seven churches in Asia Minor written to specific churches that God would give her pronouncement to. And of all the things that, that our God could say to a church, what he says to the church of sardis is the most scandalously severe unheard of commentary that could ever be said of a church and to the church of sardis he literally would say what my eye saw then as a 5-year-old boy he would say that the church of sardis in revelation chapter 3 was dead So kids, if you're making notes, we're we're gonna talk today about about a dead church and what God wants to do to bring back to life a church and a body that would be living unto him. And so we've, we've talked about in this series, these are not just letters of yesterday's past, they're letters of the present today, depicting not only churches that once was, but still are, and then the believers that thus are within them. And so as we read this text in Revelation chapter three, what we can't do is just assume it's something for them and not for us. And so our prayer is gonna be that that God's word this morning, that that his living and active word that's sharper than any double-edged sword would be both a a window into the heart and the things of God. But it will also be a mirror that reflects our own heart and that God would, my prayer is that God would take us to his workshop this morning and that he would, he would begin to rough out or smooth out the rough edges that are in our lives, that we would go through a spiritual MRI to see what is going deep down inside within our soul and discover is there any bit of what I will call Sardis-itis in our own lives here this morning. Look at the text and let's, let's read it first. So children, as you're thinking about how do I learn to, to discover God's word and understand it, children, it's the same thing that we have to do as adults. We need to, to read his word and then we read his word and then we read his word. That's how you become a good student of the scriptures. You simply read it. So let's read these first six verses together of Revelation chapter three and then we'll unpack them here in just a moment. And so here's what... John writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and to the church, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Verse three, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Verse four, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels, he who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here we have Revelation. John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is is first and foremost a, a giant revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes, it's unpacking end time events. Obviously, if God wanted us to know the, the specificity of that, He would have given it to us. So ne- never gloss over that Revelation is just a book that we can't understand about a, a future events. Don't miss, children, you can write this down. Don't miss the who for the when. And we get real caught up in Revelation trying to figure out when, 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 and miss the who that it's all about. Don't miss the who for the when. And so John writes to these, these seven churches. Paul established one in Ephesus and then used them as, as sending churches. And that's really what we wanna do. That's our PIR program here at Crossroads, that we would, we would bring pastors in, that we would raise them up, that we would, would train them, and then we would send them out. We wanna be a sending church, a sending church, a sending church, always raising up to send out, and that is what had happened. And so there's these different churches, and each church, after about 25 to 35 years, had, had fallen into kind of a reputation. There are some things that they did well, some things they didn't do well. Matter of fact, in this church, there weren't much they did well at all. It was the strictest of all judgments that any church received. I mean, to the church at Sardis, I mean, the one, the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So this is Jesus. You can look back in Revelation chapter one, verses 12 to 16, and get a very specific visual picture of what John saw when he saw Jesus. And as a result, he fell on his knees in worship. And that it ought be our heart's posture every single time we come in contact with his living word that we gather together as a body of believers that our posture, our heart postures itself correctly and humbly under the authority of Jesus Christ and his word. And this is one thing that Pastor Marcus often says that will be the building block for the future of Crossroads is this book and this book alone. Not a personality and not a name, but Jesus and his word. His inerrant word. It says to the the one who has the seven spirits of God and the ones of the seven stars. So he's he's now picking up some things from earlier letters, Revelation chapter two, the seven stars. We see that was the messengers. They were the they were the pastors. They were the elders of the church. And so he's speaking to Jesus, speaking to these churches. But he unpacks this this new concept of these these seven spirits. Now you need to understand. We're not saying there's there's seven holy spirits right there there's one god that's what's called the trinity there's one god with three distinct persons god the father god the son and god the holy spirit but seven would be a number of fullness in scripture matter of fact in isaiah we have seven descriptions of the holy spirit and what he does with wisdom and understanding counsel might knowledge fear that's the spirit of the lord But what what what, what's being unpacked here in the first verse is actually an indictment against the church of the very thing that they lost. They had lost the power of the Holy Spirit within their midst. They had shifted from a church that was focused on Jesus and His name and His name only to what happened in Genesis chapter eleven when a group of people tried to build a tower and build a name for themselves. And there was a shift in focus. And so what happens is, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down, that there's the seriousness of their condition. We, we cannot miss the seriousness of the condition to which John writes to this church of Sardis, devoid of the spirit that is dead. Because, because God says, I know. The infinite, all-knowing, omniscient, omnipresent, he's all-seeing, he's all-knowing. Colossians elevates him, Colossians chapter one, in the preeminence of Christ that by him, for him, and through him, all things are held together. This is the God that is sovereignly over all, and he writes to warn this church of a seriousness of a condition. Not just a church that lost their first love like Ephesus, not just a church that was holding on to different teachings like the church of Pergamum or the church of Thyatira that had the spirit of Jezebel. He says to this church, y'all are D-E-A-D, dead. It says to this church, you're, you're dead. Now, now, there's some animals um, that like to, 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 to fake themselves or mask themselves as being dead. You might have heard that you can play dead like a what? A possum. Do you know, I actually researched, I'm like, is, is that the only animal that, that, that plays dead? Like, it's not really a good tactic, but I guess that's the best they could think of, right? But there's some other animals. There is the uh, baby brown uh, snake. He actually freezes when predators come close by. There's the lemon shark. He'll actually turn belly up for almost 15 minutes. There's, the, there's certain species of ducks. Not very smart animals. They go to a tonic immobility. And then some pigs and farm animals, a trance-like state to where they freeze. Right? There's some different animals that do that. It's interesting, though, that these are live animals playing dead. Sardis is a dead church playing living. A dead church playing living. I mean, it's not like they just need a first aid kit. It's not like I got a boo-boo and I need a Band-Aid. I mean, they, they don't need some Tylenol or some Aspirin or some Motrin. What they need is the defibrillator to come out and to literally resuscitate the lifeless pulse that they have within the church to, to bring them back to life because they had shifted. Sardis, this, this church within a city that was of the Lydian Empire, it was the capital city. It was known for great wealth Enriches, success, glory, and splendor. And what happened is, is the church soon fell under the same drift that the culture did. And when the church falls in the same path as the culture, you know we're in a bad situation. And so they mastered ministry and they missed the master in the process focusing more on themselves and their yesterday's glories than the present realities. How how does a church get there? I think a church gets there because they focus on past glories rather than present and future discipleship. I think churches get there because they focus more on liturgical form than spiritual realities. I think churches get there when they focus more on social reform than gospel heart transformation, more on materialism than spiritualism, more on listening to the voices of the culture than the words of Christ, where they plan and they prepare way before they ever pray and when they lift personal preference above biblical conviction. And the church of Sardis got there. In essence, what they were is they were flowers at a funeral home looking pretty but can't bring any life. And, and God really spoke to me this past week, Josh, where are areas in your life where you're living in, in sardis This The city that was, was geographically set upon a mountain, it was like this granite pier with cliffs on each side. It was said to be impenetrable. It's said to be unconquerable, 1,500 feet elevated above sea level. There's no way anybody could conquer this city, and yet Sardis was conquered twice. How? Because they let down their guard. And I thought about that in my own life, and just to let you in on a moment of transparency, I went to our senior pastor, our kids' director, and two of the guys that are accountability partners in my life to say, would you would you help pray for me in this area? Because if I'm honest, for to, to y'all here this morning, for me, uh, if I'm not careful, and early on in ministry, I really struggle with this, that, that I just thought I just could do it on my own power. I knew, head knowledge, it was all for God, but I just, I just thought I could do it on my own power, and honestly, I just, I thought I could do it better. And so I, I controlled the student ministry that I first started in because I just, I just thought I could do it better, and I didn't, I didn't, need, I didn't need anybody else's help. And then I realized that there's, there's much air and pride and arrogance and all of that and, and asked God to help me. And, and I'm in a season, our, our church is in a season right now where we're looking for a, a future kids director. So in, in the stead, I'll step into that gap and serve in that way and I'm, I'm privileged to do so. But I know my heart and I know, I know the sense of drift and I, and I told pastor, would you, would you pray for me that I wouldn't step in to do something that I'll do works in and of myself and, and fall into the same trap that Sardis did, did where, where activity doesn't equal spirituality, where works don't equal worship. And if I'm not careful, would you guard my heart that, that I wouldn't shift into this just complacent, I'll just do based upon my training and personality and what I've done in the past with kids ministry roles and that I'll just coast and cruise. God forbid that never be me. And God forbid that never be us a church that coasts and cruises on what was of yesterday rather than where we're going for tomorrow because Sardis was a church that had reputation without reality. They had form without force, they had deeds, but they were ignoring the present day decay. It's kinda like buying a home. How many of y'all bought a home before? You've purchased a home before. Let me see those hands, all right? You purchase a home. And when you purchase a home, you go through a big process. Part of the process is to go through the final what? Inspection. You gotta go through that inspection to make sure that, that everything within the home is what, you, is what is reality to what you see with your naked eye. And so they go in there and they, they make sure that everything meets code, that there's nothing foundationally that's off, there's no termite damage in the attic, that the wiring is all correct. I mean, they wanna make sure so that you don't purchase a home that looks great on the outside but's broken on the inside. Sardis was a church that looked great on the outside, but it drifted out to the sea abyss, and they were broken and decaying. What Christ says, they're actually dead on the inside, which is, which is, which is unthinkable that the church, Jesus Christ being living and active, calling us to new life in him, rescued and redeemed and restored to eternal life, We're buried with him in baptism. We're raised with him in a new life. The old life is gone. The new life has come. How can a church be lifeless? It gets lifeless in form and activity when they work beyond their worship and when they focus on their own ability rather than God's ability. And I don't believe for one second that that's where Crossroads is at. I just gotta say that as a side note. I was... Was, was pulling some numbers with our staff this, this year and, or this past week, that this year, Crossroads alone has had those baptismal waters stirred 60 different times in the course of a year. Can we just give the Lord a praise clap for what God is doing? Not what Marcus Hayes is doing, not what our ABF leaders are doing, not what our staff is doing, but what God is doing through the work of Crossroads to reach unlost, unregenerate people and give them new life in Christ. We're seeing it in children. We're seeing it in adults. We're seeing God do some awesome things. And, and so John writes in and says, Listen, you got to understand big point number one the seriousness of the condition, but you, you've got to understand the hope of their cure. There, there was hope here within the midst of it. There was hope here. See, this church, um, how many of y'all are, are musically inclined? Well, how many of y'all are musically inclined? You're good with music. How many all are not musically inclined? Okay, my wife's laughing really loud because she knows that that's me, all right? Not musically inclined, can't sing, can't play an instrument. Uh, stringed instrument players. How many of y'all, um, you are stringed instrument players? You play a stringed instrument. Oh, that went down today, but okay, there's one, so we'll just talk right here, Right. Um, I thought maybe once upon a time I would become like the, you know, the youth pastor that could do worship too and play the guitar. And then I realized there's guys like Ryan who can sing and play and they're way better than me. Um, But I attempted. And so back in the day, they didn't have like different types of strings. It was just the hard string. And so my buddy's like, listen, if you're going to learn how to play guitar, just know you got to give it two weeks. I'm like, two weeks? Why don't I give it two weeks for it? It's like, I'm telling you, man, like you'll quit more because of your fingers than because of how hard it is. I'm like, psh. Come on, <laughs> did you look at me? Like, I got this, man, we're good, right? And um, so, so I, remember, I remember getting to do my first lesson. And he gives me the lesson and, and he leaves. And I like, I like go and find some ice and like dip my finger like in ice. I mean, my fingers are like hurting, hurting, right? And I'm like, man, dude, I'm gonna like, cut some, some blood here. Like I'm some blood. Like what is going on? And what I discovered is that calluses are, are essential. When you play stringed instruments, they are essential to have calluses so that you can keep playing over and over and over for as long as possible. And though that may be true about playing an instrument, it is really bad about praising our God. Because callous hearts, what it does is it thinks, I don't need you, God, anymore. Callous hearts think, I, I, I know that. I've heard that sermon. I've done that before. I've done my prayers. And it puts us in a position to where we're sufficient in and of ourselves rather than dependency of God. And and, and what he's saying here, look what he says to this church as as the hope of the cure. Here's here's what you need to do. He says, verse two, I need you to wake up. I need you to, to strengthen what remains and is about to die. Literally what's knocking at death's door. For I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God. I need you to remember then what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. Because I need, I need you to be watchful. Literally, I need you to chase sleep away. The imagery of a soldier that's, 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 that's on the lookout tower in the middle of the night. And maybe the spirit of, of God's word will come this morning and, and toss a bucket of water to, to wake you up in whatever area it is that you've slipped into self-sufficiency over Christ's dependency. So I need you to wake up in the present tense means to, to be continually watching. We cannot just say because we were individually or corporately as a church, because we were once, we still are now. Our walk with Christ is a daily thing, each and every day. Because I need you to wake up. I need, I need you to, to strengthen. I need you to, to, to go to certain areas and, and to tighten things up. I need you to, to press on. Literally, it means to revive. I need you to keep, keep the water stirring and flowing. Because if not... It's this imagery of of, of a fire. How many of y'all like doing some bonfires? Where are my kids at? I know my kids like some bonfires, right? How many kids like bonfires? What's the best thing at a bonfire? S'mores, right? Let's go, some s'mores, right? I mean, you can't think s'mores and not think of um, the movie The Sandlot, right? And you got little smalls and, and he comes in and he's like, hey guys, I'm here. Sorry I'm late. My mom made me grab a jacket and do the dishes, Right? And so the other guy, Mr., I think it Ham's his name, he's like, hey, you want a s'more? He's like, s'more what? He's like, no, no, do you want a s'more? He's like, how can I have some more of what I haven't had before? He's like, you're killing me, Smalls. He's like, you take the mallow, right? And you got the chocolate. You put the chocolate on the gram. You roast the mallow. You blow it out. You put the mallow on the chocolate. You put the gram on the mallow. You pull it back and you eat it, Right? But when you get done with your malos and you, you go to bed and you, you, the fire's there and you, you've put some water on it, you've doused it out and you go to bed, but you wake up in the morning and if you would go over to that fire many times, there's, there's deep under, there's, there's some smoldering still happening. And, and if you would get down on a knee and, and grab some little, some little dried pine needles and, and put it in there and just just blow a little bit, you could reignite that fire once again. It's interesting that this is a a dead church, but Christ says there's hope. Why? Because our Jesus is a specialist at bringing dead things back to life. He's a specialist at it. That's what he does. And so he's like, listen, there's hope. If you'll just get back down, revive, stir back up, strengthen what needs to be strengthened. And maybe, just maybe, there's some dead things in your life and you're like, I just don't know if they can be brought back to life. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a a marriage, a prodigal, a health condition, current situation you're going through. I I don't wanna meddle and try to play the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit do what the Spirit wants to do, but maybe there's there's something that you're like, I just, I don't know what God is saying. He said, listen, notice what he says. Wake up, strengthen what remains is about to die. He so says, I haven't found your works complete in the sight of my God. Look at verse three. He says, remember. He like leans in, right? It like for the, for the kids, it's, it's, it's when Mufasa talks to his son Simba, right? And he's like, remember, right? He's like, "Like Simba, I need you to do what? I need you to remember who you are. What, what John is saying through the inspiration inspirational Holy Spirit, remember whose you are. We are king's kids, heirs of the throne. Remember the truth of the gospel. Get back to the truth of God's word. Live on this, not on your works, on his strength, his ability, his spirit. Go back to what you did at the beginning. So circle back to that. To where our our orthodox theology isn't independent of our obedient living. To where, to where the pace of our feet stays in dance to the cadence of our theology, that, the, that all of that has to merge together. And we can't allow it to drift from one side or to the other. It says, remember, and he says, to do what? To, to repent. Hey, acknowledge where you're at and do a 180. Acknowledge that you've been trying to do things in and of yourself and literally do a complete shift and go the other direction. What is it that God's calling you, me, we as the church to repent and turn back from? How have we drifted into sardis Idis to think that we're sufficient in and of ourselves? He says, man, go back. If not, he he gives a bit of a warning. Hey, let me just, let me tell you what will happen. If you don't wake up, I'll come like a thief. and You'll know not what hour I will come. Listen, judgment will come. Hey kids, you just need to know this, that we as adults have to understand as well, that God is a loving, forgiving, and gracious God, but he is also a just God. And so he punishes sin. That's what God does. He would be an unloving God if he wasn't full of justice. And so he'll forgive, but that does not mean he pulls away the consequences of sin in our lives. Amen, adults? And so what we've got to do is make sure we're walking in line with with his word, his spirit, his truth, and what he has for us. It's a complete directional turn to head back towards Jesus, remembering who he is and what he's done. To wake up and to strengthen, to keep it, and to repent. Repent. I mean, that, that, that's the hope and the cure, that what Christ will do to come alongside us in that to bring about from a dead church, he's like, listen, there's still hope for you. There's still hope for you. And he ends with this, this be- beauty of a calling. If you're taking notes, write that down. The big third point here this morning as we wrap things up in our text, it's, it's the beauty of their calling. Yes, they had a, a seriousness of their condition, Yes, they had hope in their cure, but really it was beauty in their calling of what God was calling them towards. Verse 4 it says, Yet you still have a few names in Sardis. It's interesting that Sardis' name literally means remnant or, or rescued from. So they're a city that has been in ruin and decay, that there's a remnant left in the city, but. Spiritually speaking, he says, you have the same. There are still a few of you, a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, this this text is dripping in imagery. You cannot miss this. Dripping in imagery. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and never blot his name out of the book of life. Now, in that day, they were, they were the central hub for wool and for dye. That's what they were known for. They would take a clothing and they, they would dip it in or they would saturate it in or they would soil it in a particular coloring to take a white or a beige cream-colored garment of wool and transfer it out to make a beautiful color like y'all are wearing today, red, whites, and blues. And so that city knew how to take it and make that transfer. And so what He's calling on is something contextually in their city. It's kind of like Texans. Y'all just know how to barbecue. That's just what you do. It's like a part of your DNA culture. It's a part of you. And I'm trying to learn it. So grace me a little bit as I grow in my understanding of it. But they, I mean, they just, they got it. And so visibly, they would have understood, okay, white, colored garments, with the process to change from one color to the next. But they also knew that they would need white garments. They would need garments to be able to go to festivals, to be able to go to weddings. Anytime that the king would conquer another city, the victory parade, they would be adorned in white robes. So they understood the importance of white, but then also the beauty of coloring. But they understood that once you made the transfer to one, you could never go back to the other. So once you dyed it, it wasn't going back. But there's a whole other spiritual layer to all of this and the purity and the holiness that white refers to all throughout scriptures. And then the truth and the reality that we have been soiled and stained and so Jesus washes us back white with his red. And there's a beauty of salvation and a complete picture of the gospel in just this coloring of these garments that he is adorned as the great victor, that we'll get to walk in triumphal position behind him as he proceeds through to elevate his son, Jesus, that we'll get to wear white robes at the marriage feast with Jesus. That, that, that all of his his righteousness, kids, it's, his, it's what's called imputed righteousness, and he imputes, he bestows on us Christ's righteousness, not because of our own good works, because, but because of his great work that he did for us. Amen, and it's such an incredible picture of what hope we have in the beauty of a calling that we're called towards. And then he ends it up with, with, this, with this encouragement that, listen, I'll... I'll confess you before my Father and I'll never blot your name out. And let's, we need not, for the great theologian, get really confused with, with the books that's happening here. I think that this, this promise of security to the overcomer is actually a threat of insecurity for those who lapse. And this is not talking about our names being able to be pulled out of, out of heaven that we could lose our salvation or any of that such. It's kind of like in Philippians when, when God says, listen, work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, we work it out, but it's by grace, through faith and not of works. It's it's not a contradiction. It's just completing the other side. They say, hey, just work this out. So what he's ending here with is this great hope of what we have, listen, that there's security in Christ with his bought blood of the lamb, sealed with the Holy Spirit. And through that, I mean, here's Sardis where you can get back to, through me, through me. If, and only if you remain close. And Rock and the team, they're gonna come up and we're, we're, we're gonna sing a song, The Living Hope. And, and as they come up, I need, I need y'all to think back to, to, to the home, the first time you had in your home a cordless phone, y'all remember that? a cordless phone in the home. Now, the kids, you're not even gonna understand this. So I'm not even gonna try to explain it, all right? It's, it's like a glorified cell phone in the home, but it used to be a big deal. Believe it or not, phones in the olden days were attached to the wall by a cord, all right? And you could only go so far, and you would try to walk, and it would snap out of your hands, and it would hit your kids in the head. I mean, it was kind of craziness, right? But you had these cordless phones. Y'all remember, right, parents? Uh, you're, you're talking on the phone, and the kids, they're just, they're a hot mess. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It was one of those days. And so you attempted to to walk either upstairs to the attic or downstairs to the basement or even outside. But the problem is, the further you walked away from the the transponder, what would happen? It cuts off. Literally, the, the, the connection would go, what we would say in the Church of Sardis, it would go dead. Because you walked too far away from the central hub to which it was receiving its connection. Sounds a whole lot like me to John chapter 15. Remain in me and I in you, for apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. It's a gospel call this morning, folks. It's a gospel call to say, how, how can I remain close to my master? I mean, is there any area of my own life, is there any area of our life as a church that God would say, you need to come back to and to come back to. Maybe for some of you, you're like, Josh, there's, there's nothing to go back to because I've, I've never had it in the first place. And rather than barbecue and fireworks and a celebration of Independence Day, all as grand as that is, maybe today you just need to celebrate new life in Christ. Maybe today's just your day of salvation that, that Jesus would wash you white of your sins, your rebellion against him, which, which all of us have had. And he would bring you back into a new relationship with him. And so maybe as we sing the song Living Hope, you, you, you won't be able to sing the song because, because you don't know him as your living hope, which you want him to be. And we don't try to make a spectacle of things, but maybe this altar would just be a place you can come and pray with a staff member or, or someone that would want to help you understand what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe there's some coming backs that, that each one of us need to do. You, you can pray for me that, that as I serve in, in this next season, for however long that may be, that, that, that I would not work on my own ability. As I help lead, help seek to provide leadership within our kids' ministry, within our amazing volunteers, the team that we already have, that I wouldn't fall back into my own man-made works. So that, that's me, that's my prayer, that's my Sardis-itis that I know that, that I'm prone to wander and shift to if I'm not careful. But I, I, would, I would venture to say there's probably some things that, that we all have to work on. I and mean, Pastor Marcus and I, we were in a meeting this week and we talked about, man, may, may we never be, be a church that plans and prepares before we pray. That's why this prayer time on Tuesday nights, it's, 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 I hope it's the thing that you guys want to come to the most. So, man, if there's one thing I don't want to miss at Crossroads, it's our time of prayer because we just get to see God do things that we could never do in and of ourselves. We just can get on our knees and cry out in holy dependence. God, I need you and I want you. Amen. So whatever it is here this morning, this isn't just a song to end in. It's a, it's a response to get back to God. And so heavenly Father, my prayer here for our body this morning, for myself individually and our church here collectively is that, Oh, Father, you would revive those things that we, that have lost life. Father, that you would draw us back into the, the fellowship and harmony and connection with you. Father, if there's one here this morning that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, they would recognize what Jesus Christ did as he shed his blood on the cross and then rose from the grave, conquering sin, conquering death, and offering all of us new life to any who would believe in him. Oh, that you love the world so much you sent your only son that whosoever would believe in Jesus Christ would not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, Father, if there's a soul that doesn't know that, draw them in. And then, Father, for for those that know you but have have walked and wandered from you, whatever it is you need to do to clean up shop deep within the recesses of our heart and our soul, would, would you have your way? And then would you receive this, this act of adoration and worship as we corporately acknowledge that you, Jesus, and you alone are indeed our living hope. God, we love you. It's your name we pray, amen.